For Saturday's showdown, Purdue and Indiana at Assembly Hall, 2 p.m. Tip time down there on a probably a glorious Saturday afternoon in in the in the great city of Bloomington, Indiana. And joining us uh, to kind of break down what we might see uh, Saturday, but also what has happened to this point with uh, the Hoosiers, uh, Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star, the tremendous and talented and and charming and delightful. A gentleman that covers uh, the Indianapolis uh, for the Indiana Hoosiers for the Indianapolis Star. Zach, good afternoon. Thank you for hopping I'm on. At, I'm at least one of those things. Which one would you pick? Well, if you also said 33 since my birthday was yesterday, <laughs> then it would probably be that. <laughs> well, happy did birthday. I say 30, did I say 33? I'm at 23. Oh, no, we're talking about real age, not what you act at times. Thirteen. <laughs> well, happy belated birthday. How did you spend your birthday? Working. <laughs> it was signing day. We've got a recruiting stops for no man. Um, Indiana had a quiet one, like I think a lot of teams have these days. It's it's interesting to me how quickly the February date has kind of taken hold of that calendar. But or excuse me, the December date, forgive me, has kind of taken hold of that whole process. But still, when there's when there's recruiting going. Nobody can rest that easy. Well, uh, Purdue didn't sign anybody yesterday, so I did. Interesting. I didn't have to do anything from from that standpoint. So that was that was a positive. And staying on the football side of it, just for a couple seconds, uh, both of us have a mutual interest in in Coy Cronk, him playing at at uh, Indiana, uh, but also attending Central Catholic High School here in Lafayette. I guess the first kind of first reaction from you is him leaving how much of that was a surprise to you and then the fact that he did end up in the big 10 at iowa kind of how has that gone over with uh, uh the the people in the iu program right now yeah i mean i i mean i guess i would say it was a surprise that he transferred in a way just because you know you don't expect four-year starters to transfer i do remember when we talked to him kind of after he'd had his surgery so he, he basically, I think, dislocated his ankle was like the official diagnosis. And um, he he went through his procedure and he went through a little bit of rehab. And we talked to him right around the time that he got off that 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 knee cart that guys use now where they put their knee up and then kind of wheel around. And um, it was interesting then that, you know, we sort of said, are you thinking about coming back? You know, you have the four game registry rule, all that. Um, and I mean, he didn't say no, but there was a lot of like, oh, I'll evaluate that when the time comes. And, um, you know, you just sort of felt like, well, it's clearly on his mind that maybe this is it. And, um, you know, something I tell people when I talk about guys going, to the NBA draft a little bit early is, you know, sometimes you can get yourself to a place where 
tell yourself, this is it. This is the last one. This is the last fall camp. This is the last opener. This is the last spring practice. You know, these are my last summer conditioning sessions, whatever. And you get to the end and there's some sort of injury or whatever it is. You weren't, you know, the NBA says you weren't ready, but like, are you prepared to sort of mentally adjust and go back to, to, you know, just kind of go back to square one. Um, Indiana, I think he probably would have wanted Coy to play guard. If he'd come back, they have a rising sophomore who took his spot last year when he got injured named Matthew Bedford, who is very, very talented at left tackle, and I think was probably the future for Indiana at left tackle either way. Um, so, you know, the idea that Coy might want to go somewhere where he could play tackle is pretty understandable given his background and, and, you know, how much time he spent at the position in college. Then he wound up at Iowa. Um, I don't think anybody around here begrudges him that, you know, he had to play Iowa next year. And, um, and I think that there's a real deep sort of appreciation for what Coy Cronk has given to IU over the last four years. I don't think anybody was ever going to sort of bear a mill will in that regard. But, you know, in the unlikely event that Indiana finds its way to Indianapolis and I was waiting there, I'm sure, I'm sure it would be weird for some of his ex-coaches and teammates. Yeah. Um, it just, yeah, just, it just, but I, I guess it's really not a surprise in this day and age of anybody, uh, you know, spending three or four years at one place and then moving on to, to try something else. It just, I, I think we'll see more and more of it, and especially if the, you know, if the Big Ten uh, gets its way with the one-time transfer rule, it probably you know you're going to see it earlier in people's in in kids' career than than you do now. And uh, I'm not completely sure how that's all going to work, but that's we'll leave that for the smarter people in the room to to figure it out. Uh, let's talk basketball. Indiana uh, coming into Saturday, they've had basically a week off. Uh, before this game, they've lost three in a row, uh, which to me is a little surprising because you had they had the big win over Michigan State, and that I would assume was a game that was supposed to propel them into the next part of their schedule. But um, and I know they probably should have won the Maryland game, but the last two games they probably they haven't been in as much so. Where are the Hoosiers at right now? Kind of the state of uh, of their team as we head into Saturday. I, I think Indiana's largely the same story that a lot of other teams, just kind of in the middle of the Big Ten, have been this year. Which is, on the one hand, uh, pretty tough at home. You mentioned the Maryland game, the Arkansas game, also a game Indiana led by nine with about eight minutes left. It just wound up hitting one of its offensive droughts, couldn't overcome it, uh, and Arkansas came back to win. But by and large, Indiana has been, you know, tough at home. Indiana has really struggled on the road. Um, one in five on the road. Those five losses came by an average of almost 14 points. And I think that kind of, you know, the, the storyline, if you want to say not just at this weekend, you know, beyond the, the obvious rivalry game stuff um, for Indiana is the question of essentially whether whether Indiana can just be one of these teams that holds serve at home and, you know, manages to 
win all of its home games because if that happens, they'll make the tournament comfortably. There's obviously chances for tons of quality wins at home. You know, the Big Ten, um, the Big Ten is what it is. It, probably the strongest conference in the country. It seems like from a strength of schedule perspective, all the computers would suggest that. Um, or is Indiana really in a slide that could threaten, you know, the whole season and, and could threaten the idea of Indiana having the kind of year that it looked like when this team was beating Florida State, you know, was winning on the on a neutral floor against UConn, it was, as you said, beating Michigan State, the kind of season that it looked like Indiana could have. And so both Purdue and Iowa, I think, are big games for that reason, for essentially to say, is Indiana going to have to recover something of itself here on the road somewhere? Um, and I think the answer to that question is only yes if Indiana uh, can't manage to hold serve at home starting this weekend with Purdue. Yeah, I mean, we, everyone knows kind of the way the conference has gone this year. You win at home and you lose on the road for the most part, even though that's starting to, I'm not going to say level out, it just you see more road teams winning a little bit more uh, at this stage of the season. But, um, you know, w- w- with what you said there, uh, d- holding serve at home, I mean, is there, is, there, is there becoming a little bit more pressure because teams have been so good at home that you have to win at home now? I mean, you just can't afford to, to lose at home or on the road you're not expected to win. But if you do, it's kind of gravy if, you, if I didn't butcher that question too much. No, I mean, I, I think, again, Saturday sort of feels like the answer to that question. Um, you know, if Indiana wins on Saturday, and certainly if Indiana wins its next two, then there isn't really a lot of pressure. Because, you know, by that point, what would that make Indiana? 17-7. and seven. The bubble is very weak this year. You know, I... I, I Whenever Indiana loses one of these road games, and, and Ward knows they're losing them ugly, I don't dispute that, but I, I try to, you know, um, I get a lot of, oh, this team's not going anywhere, you know, they're, they're not going to come anywhere near the tournament, they're so terrible. And I sent out kind of a series of tweets after the Ohio State game that said, listen, I get where you're coming from, but look at, like, look at what the bubble is right now. Um, it's just, it's so weak. It's so unimpressive and I think most importantly for Indiana Indiana's got so few bad losses that it's hard to imagine if Indiana holds or really has no bad losses so if Indiana holds serve at home then there isn't pressure then it's just you know Indiana probably doesn't certainly isn't having the best season of all time um, but has a season that is clear progress on last year that is clear progress in year three under Archie Miller. That is, you know, breaks the three-year NCAA tournament absence uh, that I think is, is, you know, for obvious reasons, is really important for Indiana to kind of get rid of here relatively soon. And if all of that happens, there is no pressure. But if Indiana loses this game on Saturday, then you start to say, well, you, you, you can't just talk about winning at home and you can't just sort of shrug off the idea that all you've got to do is handle your home games because now you've lost not just four games in a row but two home games in a row and it's starting to really get 
you know, dicey and, and you're starting to have to get to a point where maybe you have to do something on the road, which, you know, even just beyond talking about the Big Ten and the way that it's been this year, um, Indiana, as I said earlier, has looked very bad on the road at times this season. And so I don't think Indiana can really count on, you know, being able to go to, let's say, a, a Purdue and win or a Michigan and win, you know, games they have left on the schedule uh, away from Assembly Hall. I think that the pressure comes if Indiana doesn't win this game this weekend. And maybe to some extent, if Indiana doesn't win these next two games, both of which I think it can, neither of which I think it can take for granted. And so it's going to be fascinating to just kind of see some of the dynamics. Uh, you know, I, I, I view Purdue a little bit similar to, to Indiana where um, they, they've been really good at home, uh, They and they both have one loss at home. But, you know, I, I still think the committee needs to see more out of these teams that are winning at home in such impressive fashion. I, I, I think they need to see a few more road wins, or at least playing a little bit better on the road. And I understand the bubble's weak. I understand you got to get your teams from somewhere. They're not going to shorten the field because there's a bunch of bad basketball teams this season. So they're going to have 68 in the field regardless. But I, I still feel like a team like Purdue has to show a little bit more on the road for them to feel feel good about making the tournament as long as they win the, the, the home games they have coming up on their schedule. Is that... I don't know if you feel the same way about Indiana, but that's kind of how I view these two teams right now. Yeah, you know, it's funny because Indiana and Purdue are almost kind of their own debate over how you want to view the bubble right now. So Indiana's 15 and 7, they're 5 and 6 in the conference. Um, You know, Purdue's 13 and 2, they're 6 and 6. You look at Kent Pomeroy, Purdue's best wins are Iowa at 19, Michigan State at 9, um, the win over Minnesota at 32, the win over Virginia at 54. Indiana's best wins are uh, Florida State at 20. That, that's one that keeps on giving Ohio State at 12, Michigan State at 9. Indiana doesn't have the bad loss that Purdue does with the Nebraska loss. So that probably does them a little bit of favor, you know, kind of in reverse. But the computers love Purdue a lot more. You look, I mean, Indiana's Ken Palm rating currently is 41. Purdue's is 16. Um, I I just tend to think that this is going to be a year where... For the Big Ten, and, and I, I, I think the conference, I think the term I saw somebody use uh, today, I don't remember where, was that the conference would still cannibalize itself a little <laughs> bit, which is, is, is probably true. Um, but I, by the same token, I just think you're going to get, I don't know if it's a certain amount of credit or what, but like, go look around the SEC, go look around the Pac-12, go look around the ACC. I mean, the ACC probably will get more than three in, but like, there's there's a, a believable world where the ACC only gets three NCAA tournament bids this year. And you know, if you said that at the beginning of any season, you'd, you'd get laughed at. Um, and so I think uh, – I certainly don't think that an Indiana or a Purdue 
can expect much in the way of seeding help or matchup help or anything like that on Selection Sunday without, you know, doing some damage on the road, without being able to finish, let's say, significantly above 500 uh, in conference. But at the same time, you know, using Indiana as an example, because I'm just more familiar with their resume, let's say Indiana wins out at home and loses out on the road. They finish 20 and 11. Ignore what they do in the NCAA tournament. They finish 20 and 11. They'll have home wins against Florida State. Louisiana Tech actually quietly is looking like a better and better win for them at home. Ohio State, Michigan State, and then other Ken Palm top 20 teams, including Purdue, Iowa, and Penn State. They'll have no bad losses. They'll have neutral site wins over UConn and Notre Dame. Is that the best NCAA tournament resume of all time? No, of course not. But it's more than enough in a year when there's going to be a lot of other teams fighting to outlive some some pretty unimpressive results on their own schedules. And I just think that there's – I think the Big Ten is going to kind of feast in this year where the Power Five conferences just aren't primed to give us a whole lot of quality – uh, a whole lot of quality resumes, frankly. And this is why we like to talk to you because you add reason and logic to an unlogical year in college basketball. Well, that's uh, I'm 33 <laughs> now. I've got to be I've got to be serious about these things. Uh, wanted to ask you about Trace Jackson Davis. He's brought what to this team, and where does he? I mean, he's had a good year up to now. What where does he go after this? And what, you know, what is he? What is he giving this team right now? To be honest with you, he is probably further ahead than I thought. He, like when I saw him last year, I, I, I felt like, geez, he's a little bit left-hand dominant, and you always wonder. You know, he, he put up good numbers playing in Indianapolis. He put up good numbers in AAU, but you always wonder a little bit with high school big guys. You know, how much of it is just there's. there's combination of size and athleticism I I have been surprised at how up for it he's been from a physical perspective Um, I've been surprised at how good he's been not just rebounding the ball but um, he's 53rd in the country in block percentage and he's 5th in the conference in block percentage in Big Ten play He's, he's not you know Ben Wallace level rim protection but he is giving Indiana a defensive presence at the rim that I didn't know he would be ready to do so soon. Um, and so that's that's helped. There have been games, again, particularly on the road, and this is, you know, that's kind of a caveat for everybody right now at Indiana. But there have been games, particularly on the road, where, you know, he's gone a little bit too quiet, where he struggled with certain things, you know, certain defensive attention. Um, and I don't think, at least right now, I think he's kind of floating around the back end of some top 100s and things. You know, I would be more surprised than not right now if he leaves for the NBA after this year, though you wouldn't be surprised if he if he tests the, the water just because everybody can and there's no penalty for it and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, and just broadly speaking, I, I think he's been – even better for Indiana than I thought he'd be. He hasn't shied away from the scoring load or the rebounding load. Indiana has asked him to, you know, he hasn't been a guy that's looked in danger of um, 
kind of break. And it's early February, so we'll see if this changes. But he hasn't been a guy that's looked in danger of breaking down physically. Um, he's just been he's been one of Indiana's steadier performers in Frank, quite frankly, a season when Indiana hasn't been able to count on a lot of those. And I think that it, in particular, if he is a guy that stays for a couple, maybe even three years, I think he has the chance to wind up being a, a very important player for Indiana. Also wanted to ask about Robert Finnessy. You know, obviously, he's from uh, up here, uh, uh, McCutcheon. Uh, I know he's early in the year. He was in and out of the lineup and missed some games. But has he has he found a consistent level of play for this t- for this team yet? And I know that you've written a couple stories about him over over the course of the season. Just maybe people not valuing how much he brings to the team and kind of you know where where's he at in his game right now and what is what is his comp- contributions uh, to to the Hoosiers? Yeah, I mean, I would make an argument for you he's indiana's most important player and and i don't know if that was fully appreciated before this season i think it's i think it's certainly pretty well appreciated now you know it's it's hard to tell how healthy he is he's been dealing with a couple of kind of injuries i think one was described as an abdominal injury just the kinds of injuries that probably aren't enough to shut him down for the season unless he had you know some sort of procedure but they're also not the kind that you can maybe massage back to full strength before the end of the year um and i think that you know i think that's affected him noticeably in some moments but you look at what he's done i mean he's been a better shooter um a better facilitator needs to get better finishing around the rim but again it's a little bit hard to judge that if he is playing hurt if he is playing you know kind of still dealing with this this abdominal injury um and i just think broadly speaking you know he's 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 a natural point guard in all the ways that you know as well as i do it 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 a guy like that needs to be in college basketball. He's a calming presence. It's hard to speed him up. He's tough on defense. Um, you know, all those different kinds of things. And I think for Indiana, first of all, I think Indiana's better when he starts because then you can bring Devontae Green off the bench and you have a little bit of a perimeter scoring punch off the bench. Um, and second of all, I think that he is just – so important to this team's mentality and composure um, and his ability obviously to create for his teammates is just so important that um, you know from Indiana's perspective I, I would like I said I, I would um, rate him their best player or their most important player at least yeah I, I, I think his value is tremendous and uh, he does a lot of things that I don't. I don't know if people appreciate it this time, but I think by the time his career is over at Indiana, I think he'll have a higher appreciation level than than what people thought coming in uh, when he when he when he started playing uh, as a freshman. Yeah, I just. I mean, he, I think he's also one of those guys. It's it's you know it's it's hard to it's hard for a sophomore to be a leader. Um, and I think he, he also has had to step maybe out of the shadow. I mean, he was important last year, but I think he had to step a little bit out of the shadow of, you know, a guy like Romeo Langford or, 
um, Juwan Morgan last year. But uh, at the same time, I, I really do think that he is getting more and more comfortable with the intangible aspects of, you know, kind of running a team, essentially, and being the guy whose teammates look to him for that, you know, that presence, that message, that leadership, all those different kinds of things. And so I think what you're, to me, you may not see it all this year because he still is just a sophomore, but like I think by next year, I don't think he's going to necessarily have the scoring punch someone like Cassius Winston would have. But I think by next year, when you talk about his command of the floor and his ability to really, you know, kind of lead his team um, from the front, if you want to say, lead his team, you know, sort of embracing that that responsibility, I think is is probably going to be showing through, you know, this time next year. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. And I, I know, you know, we talked before we started recording that you're no longer a, an AP voter, so you're not as you're not in the deep end of watching as many games as you have in the past. But just from an outsider's perspective, um, kind of your your take on Purdue and just the the wide spectrum of of play that we've seen from them at home and on the road. I know I know that what the Big Ten is this year, but the gap is just so wide of what they do at home and do on the road. But just kind of what what have you seen in the limited time that you've been able to to take a look at Purdue and and what challenges they may bring uh, to Saturday's game? You know, I, I guess the, the the broad picture thing for Purdue for me just feels like with what they lost last year, and you know, you don't just rep- obviously for all of the the reasons that you would imagine, you don't just replace um, someone like. Carson Edwards just, you know, like that. Um, I just snapped my fingers. That's good radio. (laughs) Um, But you do sort of feel like it, and you would know better than me, and and correct me if I'm wrong, it just kind of feels like, you know, they needed one or two guys to be one year away, and it turned out those one or two guys were two years away. And and the, the balance just hasn't quite come. Um, that said, again, listen, they're 13 and 10, but I think you, you, you know, bracketologists right now probably have them in the field. Um, and, and I'm not sure they'd be wrong to when you consider how tough the Big Ten is and, 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 you know, how demanding everybody's road schedule has been. I think the big thing for Indiana with Purdue is, I know Purdue obviously can be very, streaky offensively i know that it can swing in extremes you know from northwestern where it it felt a little bit like nails on a chalkboard at times to iowa where it was just like oh my god you know where did this this is incredible um you know with indiana I, i think it's true against purdue i think it's true just broadly against anybody to be fair Indiana can't let teams get going from the three-point line, and they got to limit turnovers. Um, and I think Purdue, if I'm not mistaken, uh, has been decent enough at creating turnovers off opponents this season. But, you know, Indiana 
Indiana can't score at a high volume. They're a little bit better at it at home, but they're still not just, you know, pulling up trees offensively wherever they go. And so Indiana can't really afford, you know, for teams to score quickly and in bunches very often. And then the, the, the really big problem for Indiana kind of offense to defense this year has been turnovers. They've come in bunches and they've often come kind of as a result of the offensive lulls that, you know, suddenly guys are starting to get frustrated. They start forcing passes. You know, they start forcing entry feeds that aren't there and things like that. Or they start taking really, really bad shots um, that act like turnovers. And, you know, this is just not a team that can afford to waste possessions offensively. And so if you're, you know, if you're Purdue or if you're, if you're defending Purdue, if you're Indiana, you've got to think about keeping Stefanovic quiet, keeping Hunter quiet. Um, you know, not letting somebody like Aaron Wheeler, who maybe has been inconsistent at times, but has that capacity to suddenly just, you know, find a little bit of comfort behind the three-point line, and then pow, you know, they've scored 12 points in five minutes. Indiana just can't afford those kind of bursts, and I think that's that's probably one of the areas that Indiana's got to be most diligent about going into Saturday's game, which again is one that I wouldn't say it's a must win in the sense that if Indiana loses it, my God, the season is over. But it, it is in the sense that if Indiana is not careful, this starts to really mount in a way uh, that Indiana maybe can't get out from under. Right. So, Well, uh, Zach has given us great insight and great information as always. Uh, you should hear what he says when we're not recording. It, the information is even better. <laughs> Uh, but no, we appreciate Zach hopping on today to preview Saturday's game. Uh, you can read his work at indystar.com. Uh, and actually, he has a, has a story up, up right now because I, I looked at it before uh, we started uh, dealing with, you know, Bob Knight and the, uh, I don't know what the word used to describe the, 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 the ever <laughs> present question. Yes. But here's my question about Bob Knight. Let's say, I mean, I. I I, you'd know better than I if he even shows up Saturday or the next home game or the home game after that. But what, after he after he actually does show up at a game, what happens after that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think for a lot of people, it just sort of feels like, you know, if it happens, it'll happen, and, that, and then that'll be it. Yeah. You know, and, and if he wants to come to another game, great. You know, fans will cheer for him whenever he shows up. Um. But there's not it, – it, it's it's just about kind of that moment of reconciliation, for lack of a better term. And whatever happens after that, I, I don't want to say that everybody's happy, everybody's placated, everybody's, you know, gets to ride off into the sunset together. But I I really do think it, it won't be a situation where, where they start saying, well, what about the second time he comes to Assembly Hall? I think for a lot and, – and let's be – clear too I, I think a lot of IU fans that I speak to anyway have broadly speaking moved past the Bob Knight question if he comes to a game they'll be happy to see him if he doesn't it's not something that they're sitting up nights waiting for um, but for the, the fans that do want him to come back that do want that moment of catharsis or excitement or whatever it is um I I do think 
that it's just sort of one of those, it'll happen the one time. Um, everyone will probably at some level get what they want out of it. And then that'll be that. And everything that happens after that will just sort of be, we will have crossed the Rubicon permanently at that point. So I call it closure. That's what yeah, I, call it. I mean, yeah. Closure <laughs> catharsis. I mean, just what, whatever. And again, I, I, I also, to be fair, I think that, that Knight's return would mean different things to different people. So like it would obviously mean something very different to one of his former players than it would to a 30 year season ticket holder than it would to, you know, a, a student from suburban Chicago. Like it, 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 it has three very distinct sort of levels or, or I would say three, several different distinct levels of importance, just depending on who you talk to. But I think that broadly speaking for everyone, if it happened, it would happen, you know, it would affect the one time and then, and then, you know, we'd all be able to just sort of, for lack of a better term, move on. Right. Well, very, very well put. Very well put, Zach. Hey, we appreciate your time. Uh, Zach from the Indianapolis Star. Uh, you can read his stuff at IndyStar.com. I uh, look forward to him to being a wonderful host on Saturday, uh, making sure that uh, the members of the Purdue media are taken care of and not put in harm's way by, by, by in any situation whatsoever. Right? I think, I think we might have Chick-fil-A for you. Wow. And it's not it yeah. good. That's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. We get, we, get, we get Chick-fil-A like once every, like, Four home games, okay. five home games. We haven't, we haven't had it in a while. Oh. I think I think you may be coming down for chicken sandwiches. All right. Well, I'm fasting right now. <laughs> Zach, appreciate it. Have a good day. We'll see you Saturday. Thanks for having me, as always.